Good morning. We'd like to welcome you all to the Houghton Wesleyan Church on this beautiful, sunny Sunday morning. Please stand and join us as we begin our worshiping of God through song. Let's go. 
Father, we worship your holy name today. You are great. You are the almighty God. You've created us in all that is, and you love us with a never-ending, unfailing love. And we come today in gratitude. And we thank you for being present with us in our worship. Let it truly bring glory to you. And we ask this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others who are in worship today before you're seated. Just a few things that I want to highlight uh, this morning as we come for worship. 
I just want to remind you about Operation Christmas Child. We're in the middle of that. Uh, We have a couple of more weeks until that that, uh, project is completed and we send the boxes on. Uh, So just please take note of that. And there's some information in the bulletin related to that. We've also uh, are are connecting with uh, some students uh, at the college who are, are really have a real passion about praying for the student body at Houghton College. And uh, they are trying to get people to pray, uh, a whole variety of people to cover in prayer all the students at the college. And so we certainly want to support that, be a part of that, uh, that plan. And so in the back, there's a, there's a basket and it has uh, blue cards in it, uh, like sort of three by five type cards. And uh, some names are written on those. And if you are interested in praying, there's about five names on the card. If you're interested in, in praying for some college students, as you go out, just grab one of those. You can do it as a family. You can do it as individuals. Uh, whatever way you would like to do that, um, just feel free to grab one of those cards. And I know that uh, the prayers would be greatly appreciated. If we run out, we'll, we'll get some more. But we want to cover uh, the, the college campus with our prayers. We also are just a week away from beginning our three-week prayer vigil. And I know for many of you, this has been a really significant time. The last few years, this is the fourth year we've done this. I know it has been for me. And I was just talking with someone the other day who said every time they walk into the prayer room, their heart is just stirred uh, about what God has done in their life and the things that they've seen God do through being a part of the prayer vigil. And I hope that you will uh, want to be a part of that as well. We are signing up now for the first week. You can sign up this morning before you leave. Uh, there's a computer in the back. There's someone there to help you. Also one in the, in the community room for you. They'll be there throughout the day. But you can always sign up online. There's information in the bulletin about that. Uh, we can, we've simplified, uh, we've made more simple uh, the uh, sign-up process uh, for you. And you can just go to hwchurch.org slash prayer. And that will redirect you right to the calendar where you can sign up. Uh, you know, we... This, this is a great opportunity for us to join our hearts and our minds together in prayer. And we believe that prayer is, is essential to not only our lives individually, but to us corporately as a church that, to help us be who God wants us to be. And uh, God is just going to do some great things, I'm, I'm convinced, as we come together and pray. And, you know, we, we talk about praying in the prayer room, and we really encourage everybody to come to the prayer room. If you haven't yet had a chance to be a part, uh, to see the prayer room or experience that, uh, feel free to stop by. It's just in the basement right below the sanctuary here. We are making some changes this year. There'll be a lot of things the same, but we're, we're adding some new features related to praying as a family, uh, as the family of God, and so there'll be some new things there as well, but a number of things that you, people have appreciated in the past also. So we want to encourage you to, to be a part of this, uh, this prayer adventure and to, uh, to sign up today, this week, as we move forward in the next few weeks of praying together. There are also a number of prayer concerns in the bulletin. We continue to pray for, uh, for a number of needs related to us as well as the world and ask for God's grace in uh, the way that only He can bring as He brings healing and comfort and uh, His power to bear on our lives and on our world. The scripture reading for today comes from 1 Chronicles chapter 9. All Israel was listed in the genealogies recorded in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. They were taken captive to Babylon because of their unfaithfulness. Now the first to resettle on their own property in their own towns were some Israelites, priests, Levites, and temple servants. The priests who were head of families were able men responsible for ministering in the house of God, including Levites and gatekeepers. The gatekeepers were stationed at the king's gate on the east. Shalom and his fellow gatekeepers from his family were responsible for guarding the thresholds of the tent, just as their ancestors had been responsible for guarding the entrance to the dwelling of the Lord. In earlier times, Phinehas, son of Eleazar, was the gatekeeper in charge of the gate, uh, was the official in charge of the gatekeepers, and the Lord was with him. Zechariah was the gatekeeper at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Altogether, those chosen to be gatekeepers at the thresholds numbered 212. They were registered by genealogy in their villages. The gatekeepers had been assigned to their positions of trust by David and Samuel the seer. They and their descendants were in charge of guarding the gates of the house of the Lord, the house called the tent of meeting. 
The gatekeepers were on the four sides, east, west, north, and south. Their fellow Levites and their villages had come from time to time and shared their duties for seven-day periods. But the four principal gatekeepers, who were Levites, were entrusted with the responsibility for the rooms and treasuries of the house of God. They would spend the night stationed around the house of God because they had to guard it, and they had charge of the key for opening it each morning. Some of them were in charge of the articles used in the temple services. They counted them when they were brought in and when they were taken out. Others were assigned to take care of the furnishings and all the other articles of the sanctuary, as well as the special flour and wine and the olive oil, incense, and spices. But some of the priests took care of mixing the spices. A Levite named Mattathiah, the firstborn son of Shalom the Korahite, was entrusted with the responsibility for baking the offering bread. Some of the Kohathites, their fellow Levites, were taken or were in charge of preparing for every Sabbath the bread set out on the table. Those who were musicians, head of the Levite families, stayed in rooms of the temple and were exempt from the duties because they were responsible for the work day and night. All these were heads of Levites' families, chiefs as listed in their genealogy, and they lived in Jerusalem. The word of the Lord. the ushers to come and assist us in giving our tithes and offerings and children ages 2 to 5 may be dismissed for children's church. As we pray together, if you'd like to come and pray at the altar to use this as your place of prayer, please join me.
Heavenly Father, we come to you today as our gracious Lord, Creator, Savior. We bow before you and ask you once again to teach us how to pray. We ask that you would teach us the joy of of the discipline of prayer. To teach us to pray and to not give up. Teach us to pray when we feel passionate about praying and when we don't. That you would teach us to pray courageously in your power. And teach us the simplicity of prayer that is bathed in faith and in trust of you. Lord, in the next few weeks as we engage in this intensive time of prayer, make us willing to engage you in these days. That as individuals and as a church, as a wider community, that we would be changed into the likeness of Christ. Father, we thank you that as we come today, we know that you are with us in our struggles. We know that you love us, that you are working for us, whether we see you or not. And we know that you are transforming us, whether that transformation takes place in the way that we desire or not. Here are prayers for those who are hurting, for those who are struggling those who are grieving hear our prayers Father, we ask for your gentle care for your children in our fallen world, for those who suffer innocently because of cruelty and evil, for people caught in the crossfire of war and conflict, for those who are hungry and homeless. Heal and restore, feed and clothe all who are in need. Burden us and your people everywhere to feel such compassion that we beg you to let us soothe and calm and help and love. Father, this is our prayer which we offer to you through the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who teaches us to pray together, our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lost or saved, find their way at the sound of your great name. All condemned, feel no shame at the sound of your great name. Every fear has no
Please be seated. How often when you watch a movie do you sit for the whole thing and watch all the credits roll to the end? Probably not very often. Unless somebody you know is listed in the credits, you probably, as soon as the the last scene is done, you, you either walk out of the theater or you stop the DVD or whatever and you're done with it. How you know we don't, we just don't think that much about all the people that it takes to make a movie, all the people behind the scenes. The same thing is true if if you're at a, a performance. We don't think that much about the person who is responsible for opening and closing the curtain. It just happens. If you're reading a book. We don't think that much about how the print got onto the page and how the pages got cut and the pages were bound in, into the cover. We just have a book that we read. We think about the author, but we don't think that much about how it got from the author to us. If you go to, to a sporting event or some kind of event in a big stadium, we don't think that much about the people who cleaned the stadium before the event took place. But we're awfully glad that they did. You know, a lot of those things in life, we don't think that much about until they don't happen. If you walked into the stadium and no one had touched it for three weeks, you probably wouldn't want to stay that long. Or if you go to a performance and and the person closing the curtain and opening the curtain is doing it at the wrong times, it, it totally messes up the whole play. If you're reading a book and the typeface on one page is upside down or turned backwards or the pages are all torn out, it it ruins the book. We don't think that much about all the things that go on behind the scenes because we tend to value what we can see. We tend to value people that we, we consider celebrities, the people who are out front, the people who do the things that are obvious. And we tend to ignore all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. And we do that not just in life, but we do it in the church as well. I've been reading through the Bible this year and this summer. I came across this passage in First Chronicles 9. I know you, as we're reading this, you're probably thinking to yourself, genealogies again, really, all these names, come on. At least I spared you. We cut out, if you had your Bible there, we cut out a whole lot of names. And I did that as much for Dan as I did for us to listen to it. I have to pronounce all of those. But what struck me as, you, as you're reading through, not just the list of names, but some of the tasks in the temple. And this is a story, this, when you get to the ninth chapter of Chronicles, it's talking about the, the Israelites coming back from exile and they're reestablishing temple worship. And the people are there who are doing, the priests are there and all their jobs. And we know about that. We know about the priests who, who do the sacrificing and the priests who, who, who uh, you know, give a, do all the things that, that you go to the temple to do. What struck me was these two verses, these two sentences about the guy and the, and the people, the Levites, who bring the bread into the temple. And I'm reading along, and I'm reading about the gatekeepers, and I get that. They're guarding the place, and they're making sure the treasury is safe, and, and that makes sense to us. But I never until that moment thought about how the bread got into the temple. I was reminded... This week, as I was thinking about the sermon, uh, of an incident when John was, was young. I don't know, probably five, our son John, when he was five or six years old. He told, you, he told me I could tell you this. But he, we, were, we were talking about, some, Cindy and I were talking with him about something he wanted us to buy. And, and we said to him, we don't really have the money to buy that right now. And his response to us was, well, just go to the bank and get some. I mean, how many times had he seen us walk into the bank, hand them a slip of paper, and they give us cash? So what's the big deal? Just go to the bank and they give you cash. That's how it works. And there's something in our minds that, that we just take for granted that things are going to happen. And, but when you get to the temple and these guys are making the bread, 
You know, they don't have kitchen aids. They don't have ovens like we have. They don't have this, all these kinds of, of, of things of comforts that we have about baking. This is a, an excavation from an excavation, a drawing, a clay thing that came out of a 1941 excavation. And you can see the, how they're rolling the dough in this little, this little uh, device. And they're getting ready to bake the bread. It was hard. It was tough. And yet there were people who took it on as their job to bake the bread and make sure that the bread in the temple was there when it needed to be. And I doubt if many people went into the temple and thought, hey, thanks to the guy for making the bread. It was just there. And because it was there, because the bread was there as God commanded the Israelites way back in Exodus and Leviticus... Because the bread was there, every time people went to the temple, they were reminded that God provides for his people. The bread symbolizes God's provision for his people. That he's going to take care of them. That he's not just concerned about their souls. He's concerned about their bodies. And he has taken care of them through the centuries. And he will continue to take care of them. He will provide the food that they need that the bread represents. Bread, this sort of universal food. And they, bring, they come in and they see the bread and they're reminded God provides. And every time they come into the temple, the bread is there. And how did the bread get there? It didn't just appear magically. Somebody had to take the time to bake it. And I suspect they, like us, don't give those kinds of tasks a whole lot of thought. And yet, the church exists. The church is able to complete its mission only because there are so many people who are doing bread-baking kinds of things that we don't see, that we don't pay that much attention to, but are imperative and essential to what it means to be the church. People who, who teach our children in Sunday school with very few accolades, if any. I want to thank you for that. And I want to thank you, thank, say thanks to the people who work with our children on Wednesday nights. Who give of their evening and expend a lot of energy working with, with high energy children. Just trying to help them know a little bit more about Jesus. And those of you who, who help with the youth group on Wednesday night and Sunday nights and other times. People who come in and make pancakes for the youth prayer breakfast on Tuesday mornings. People who deliver meals on wheels to people who can't get, come out. People who, who drive the van to take people shopping that can't get out otherwise. People who run the PowerPoint and the sound system. I mean, I, I, part of me hesitates to begin listing things because I know I'm going to forget valuable ministries. But you get the idea. And I want to say thank you. Thank you for all of you who do those behind-the-scenes kinds of jobs, inconspicuous kinds of jobs, because it's only because those jobs are done that the church is able to be the church. And it's not as though the other ministries are not important. The ministries that we see But the ministry that we see would never happen if it weren't for the other things that take place. How do you think the, you know, the inserts get into the bulletin? Volunteers come virtually every week and put those in. And the library, all the great books that we have there get cataloged and and put on the shelves. and, And there's just so many things. And one of the most significant things that, that you do is to pray. That's one of the reasons we have the prayer vigils because it's so important to pray and we value prayer. But yet it, it's one of those ministries that, that we tend to say, you know, we, we tend to talk like, well, what can I do for you? And I say, we can pray. Well, what else can I do for you? Well, we can pray. And I, I know some of you are at the stage of your lives where you've done a lot of other work and you've used a lot of your gifts for the church, but you're at a point in life where you can't do that anymore. It, it's just not possible. 
But I want to thank you for continuing to pray. To lift all of us up in prayer who may be doing other things that you may now be incapable of doing. But even if you are capable of doing other things, to pray. One of the things about the prayer vigil is that we come together and we pray because we value prayer. And we understand that prayer is the foundation for what it means to be the church. And for three weeks, we set apart this time for us to focus intensely our attention on prayer. Not so that that's the only time we pray, but so that it begins and and enhances the habits that we have to continue praying. And I want to say thank you. Every one of you who prays and who gives. See, we, we tend to, to look at a lot of the inconspicuous gifts and work in the church as less significant. We don't do that maybe consciously, but we do it subconsciously. I think that's one of the reasons why in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says that the gifts that we think are less important are really indispensable. And I think it's time that we begin to see the gifts and the work that we do the way God does. The way he designed the kingdom. That it's all valuable. That it's all significant. That it's indispensable. You know, I I think one of the reasons Paul says it's indispensable is because when when you give yourself to to tasks, to ministry, using your gifts... In, in ways that may not be seen by others, it is a great spiritual challenge because you, you do it as humble servants. And when we humble ourselves before God and we, and we give ourselves to ministries that may or may not be seen and may or may not get any recognition, then a lot of potential for spiritual growth takes place because we know we're doing it simply because God has called us to do it, because God has asked us to do it, because we know it's the right thing to do. And that's when significant spiritual growth takes place. When we're doing things, not because we might get some accolades for it, but because it's just the right thing to do. And we find that that God works in our hearts when we have that humble servant spirit of just giving of ourselves in ways that might never be seen by other people. But the reality is, whatever we do for God, other people may not see it, but God does. Nothing we do for the kingdom is invisible to God. He knows. He sees. And when you get to Colossians chapter 3, Paul is talking about the, how the church should relate to one another and the attitude we ought to have. And he comes to verse 17 and he says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all for the glory of God. And it strikes me that whatever we do for God brings him glory. And I think especially so the things that we do that are behind the scenes, inconspicuous, hidden from the eyes maybe of most other people. I think we bring great glory to God. I think we bring joy to God. I think we make God smile. Because we're doing things for the kingdom to bring him glory and to lead other people to him. And that becomes our passion. And God is pleased. Because in the economy of God, more often than not, we live in the ordinary and the common. We tend to live in that's what our lives are about. Most of our lives are going to be about just the ordinary things that we do. Common life, just living out our days. And we sometimes think that in the common and the ordinary We're not really accomplishing anything. We're not really doing anything. But the reality of the kingdom is we're wrong. It's most often in the common, in the ordinary, rather than the extraordinary, that God uses us. And that God speaks through us. And that God works in us.
And isn't it, isn't it a fascinating thing to think that what we do for the kingdom brings joy to God? Every time we use our gifts, every time we do something in the ministry of the church that isn't even a part of what we think our gifts are, God is joyous and God gets glory. That's why we're taking communion this morning. Because this table is a place of equality. It's the great equalizer. We don't come to this table in any kind of socio or economic class. We don't come to this table as greater Christians or lesser Christians. And we don't come to this table as people who have what we might consider greater gifts or lesser gifts. We just come to this table as people who need the grace of God. As people who are servants of God. As people who desire to know God and help others know God. And that's why we we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. It's not about being exclusive. If you have to measure up to some standard, you have to be as part of the group. But rather, it's because we all come in need of the grace of God. And we all come as equals to this table seeking God and asking God to use us in every way possible. As we receive communion by intention and we walk up to the front and we tear off the bread and we dip in the cup and we eat it, as we're walking up, we look at, I want to encourage you to look at each other today and to, and to see each other as people that God is using for his kingdom. And people that we might not know People, you might not know what what they do for the kingdom. And yet, people who are doing something. And God is using all of us. And together, using all of our gifts, the things we see, the things we don't see, the kingdom becomes what God intends it to be. And the church's mission is sent forth. And we help move and answer the prayer that we pray just a little bit more that the kingdom on, on heaven would come on earth. Because we're all using what God has given us. And we're sharing in the ministry of the church whether what we do is recognized or not. As I was thinking about this passage and thinking about the bakers and and what they do and and how imperative they are to the temple worship as God designed it. I was reminded, I hadn't thought about him for a long time, but I was reminded about my my first just beginning college. I I remember that first day my parents brought me down to, to school, dropped me off. And there I was in this unfamiliar place, didn't know hardly anyone. And the next day, it was a Sunday, Monday, start classes. And, you know, as a part of funding your education, you do work-study job. And I was arbitrarily assigned to work in the maintenance department. Now, fortunately for them, they didn't assign me to build anything or to do anything like that. Um, I, I actually was assigned to a guy, walked in, they, they said, well, you're working with Everett. I'm like, fine, I don't know who Everett is, but they pointed me to him. Everett was in charge of all the setups on campus. That was, that was his job, and that was my job to help him. And so for that first year of college, I, my work-study job was setting up tables, setting up chairs, taking down tables, taking down chairs, carrying chairs from one building to another, carrying tables from one building to another, and just setting up stuff. And, and what I discovered very quickly is that Everett's, this job that we had was one of those behind-the-scenes kinds of jobs. You know, nobody really thought about how the tables and chairs got set up unless they didn't get set up. Um, you know, they were just there. They walked in. They expected them to be set up the way they wanted, and they expected them to be taken down when they were done. It was kind of a thankless job. But what amazed me was that Everett was the kind of guy who it didn't bother him that it was a thankless job. Because whenever you were with him, he was either whistling, singing, or engaging someone in animated conversation about their day, themselves, whatever, anybody who would talk with him. 
I mean, I, I can remember carrying tables across campus. It should have taken us about 10 minutes. It would often take us 20, 20, 25 minutes because there were always people to talk to. There were always people to stop and to, and to visit with and to find out how they were doing. And this guy had just this amazing spirit of joy in doing a job that very few people recognized he had done. And I did that job my freshman year. I did that job my sophomore year. I loved working with this guy. My junior year, he was diagnosed with stomach cancer. I went to the hospital to see him a few times there in town. And his attitude was the same. He wanted to know about me. He wanted to know about how things were going at the college. He wanted to know about life. And, and later that spring, some friends and I attended his funeral. And to be quite honest with you, there were people there from the maintenance department, a few other people from the college, his family, a few people from his church. But it wasn't a funeral that was attended by hundreds and hundreds of people. And nobody at the funeral service talked about how he had done, just made an extraordinary impact upon their lives and that all the great things he's done in the world. Because honestly, he really hadn't. We just remembered him as a loving faithful, joyous servant of God. And he inspired me to want to be that same kind of person. And I am sure that all the accolades that he didn't get while he was on earth didn't make any difference because when he met his master, he heard, well done, good and faithful servant. And you and I are honored and privileged to work together for the kingdom. And I want to thank you for what you do, whether it's recognized by others or not. Because God is glorified through what you do. And the kingdom is enlarged through what you do. And we are all better Christians. And the church is more the church because of what you do. I found let it be consecrated, Lord, to Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Creator and sovereign of the universe, you love the world so much that you gave your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. He suffered and died for the sins of the world, and you raised him from the dead that we too might have new life. And he 
ascended to be with you in glory and according to his promise is with us always. On the night that he offered himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, for this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to you and he gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. As often as you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. Father, as we remember all of your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we ask you to accept this, our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving that we offer in union with Christ's sacrifice for us. We surrender ourselves to you. And we thank you for using us and for calling us and for gifting us. Father, send the power of your Holy Spirit on these gifts and on us. That in the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the cup, we may know the presence of the living Christ. That we may be one body in him, cleansed by his blood. That we will faithfully serve him in the world. And look forward to his coming in final victory. And we pray this through Jesus Christ. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose, every power as thou shalt
Your blood speaks a better word than all the empty claims I've heard upon this earth. Speaks righteousness for me, stands in my defense. Jesus is your love. the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.